The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Hey math fans, Jason Marshall, Math Dude here with your weekly dose of quick and dirty tips to make math easier. In our first episode on functions, we learned that you can think of a function as a sort of machine that's fed input and in return gives back a unique output based upon some relationship. Simple, right? Well, sort of. Because as we'll see today, there are a few additional details about functions that you need to keep in mind. Of particular note is the extremely important detail that we mentioned the last time. Namely, a function is only a function if it provides one and only one output for every possible input, which is an idea that's very closely related to what are called the domain and range of the function. What exactly do these terms mean? Stay tuned because that's exactly what we'll be talking about today. Before we tackle the idea of the domain and range of a function, we first need to spend a few minutes talking about how to picture what any particular function does. One way is to simply plug a few numbers into the function and see what output it gives you. But that sort of one-at-a-time process is hard to keep track of. So let's try to improve upon this idea by coming up with a way to see what a function does for every possible piece of input all at once. How? Well, one way is to start feeding the function numbers one by one and making a table of the results. For example, if we do this for the function y of x is equal to x squared, we might put together a two-column table where the first column has different x values, say 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, and the second column has y of x values. And since y of x is equal to x squared, those values are 0, 1, 4, 9, 16, 25, 36, 49, 64, and 81, the squares of the input. If we're really ambitious, we could continue doing this on up to higher and higher values of x. And maybe we might want to start plugging in negative values of x too. While that effort would be noble, it doesn't really help us understand the bigger picture. In other words, it's hard to look at a table and get a feel for the overall big picture behavior of the function. For example, sometimes it's helpful to know where a function has negative values. Or perhaps you want to know all of the x values where a function is equal to 0, 10, or whatever other number. All of these things are tough to do with a table. Of course, what we really want is a graph. When we look at the graph of a function, we can imagine that that function is past each value of x one by one, that it calculates the numerical value of its output for each of these inputs, and finally that it puts these points on the plot. If you take a look at the web article version of this podcast, this is MathDude episode 187, available at quickanddirtytips.com slash mathdude, you'll find some pictures I put together to help illustrate all of this. In particular, you'll find an image of the graph of the function y of x is equal to x squared. That graph shows specific output values for input values at x is equal to 0, 1, 2, 3, and 4. And if you do take a look at that graph, you'll notice that the values for these individual points are also connected by a line. 
a line which shows us the output values for all of the in-between values of x, which means that this plot actually gives us a picture of the overall behavior of the function, which is exactly what we were after. As we've said many times now, a function cannot have more than one output value for the same input value. In other words, for a function like y of x is equal to x squared, every value that you plug in for x gives you back one and only one value for y of x. We can also think about this graphically using something called the vertical line test for functions. If you take a look at the web article version of this podcast, you'll find an image containing two graphs. One of the plots shown is a function and the other is not. How can you easily distinguish a function from a non-function by looking at its graph? Well, one way is to imagine passing a vertical line back and forth over the graph, and to check to see if there are any points along the x-direction that have more than one y-value. If there aren't any such points, the relationship is a function. But if there are multiple y-values for a given x-value, the relationship is not a function. If you'd like to quickly test your knowledge about the vertical line test for functions, take a look at the pop quiz I've included on this topic in that web article version of the podcast that I mentioned before. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Okay, so we now know how to picture a function as a graph and how to figure out whether or not something is a function in the first place using the vertical line test on that graph. Now it's time to talk about what are called the domain and range of a function. As it turns out, and as we alluded to before using less mathematical language, we can't just feed a function any old input that suits our fancy. We can only give it input that's in what's called its domain. What does that mean? Well, the domain of a function is simply a list or a description of all the input or x values for which the function is defined. Imagine the function containing five values that are described by the ordered pairs 1, 5, 2, 3, 3, 1, 4, 3, and 5, 5. Basically, it's a function that looks like a sparsely populated V. You can find a graph of this function and the other functions I'm going to mention in the web article version of the podcast. Since the domain of a function is the list of all possible x values that it can have, the domain of this function is just the set of values 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. On the other hand, the set of all possible output values this function can have is called the range of the function. Since this function is only defined at five distinct points, its range must simply be the unique y values that it can have. In other words, its range is the set of points 1, 3, and 5. How about a function that's exactly like this one, but where there are lines connecting all of the points? Well, that line means that the function is defined not only at the points, but everywhere in between along the lines connecting those points too, which means that the domain of the function consists of all the points between 1 and 5. Using the language of inequalities, we can say that the domain of this function is all of the points x for which x is greater than or equal to 1 and less than or equal to 5. And the range of the function? 
Well, since it has values anywhere along the lines, its range is described by y is greater than or equal to 1 and less than or equal to 5. Let's look at one more. How about the function z of x is equal to quantity x squared minus 3 plus 1? As you can check by graphing this function, it continues on forever for both larger and larger values of x and for more and more negative values of x. So the domain of the function is the entire set of real numbers. In other words, the domain is every number that you can find on the number line. How about its range? Well, as you can see by looking at the graph of that function, the minimum value is at the point 3, 1, and its value continues to grow forever in either direction. Therefore, its range can be described by z is greater than or equal to 1. I know that some of this can be a little hard to follow in your head, so please do go to the web article version of this podcast and take a look at all of the graphs I've put together. And while you're looking at that web article, if you'd like to test your knowledge on the domain and range of functions, take a look at the pop quiz I've put together on that topic. You can also find the solutions to both of the pop quizzes in this week's show at the very end of the web article. Okay, that's all the math we have time for today. While you're out and about on the internet, please take a look at my book, The Math Dude's Quick and Dirty Guide to Algebra. It's perfect for all the math fans in your life, and it's available wherever you like to buy books. Also, remember to become a fan of The Math Dude on Facebook at facebook.com slash themathdude and on Twitter at twitter.com slash jasonmarshall. Until next time, this is Jason Marshall with The Math Dude's Quick and Dirty Tips to Make Math Easier. Thanks for listening, math fans. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.